Hello everybody and welcome back to the Full Circle Podcast. In today's episode, I'm exploring a topic that has become more and more mainstream over the last few years, with popular authors like Glennon Doyle and Elizabeth Gilbert leaving their heterosexual marriages for female partners. There is a lot of buzz around this journey of self-discovery and becoming a late-life lesbian. The popular understanding of sexuality is that it develops from a young age and solidifies as a person grows older. Gay and straight are treated as the default categories, with labels like bisexual or asexual often entirely forgotten. These identities are also closely tied to behaviour. We assume that gay-identified people, for instance, only sleep with those of the same gender and will do so throughout their lives. Although, in recent years, more space has been made for people who identify with being gay, lesbian, bisexual or queer later in life. Living our truth requires being with the people we love. And for some, this requires the courage to pursue a life they never imagined they would have. In this episode, I'm pleased to be speaking with Ashley McDonald, a woman who now identifies as lesbian after being in only heterosexual relationships. Ashley is a professional dancer with over 25 years experience in competitive dance and movement and is a choreographer and business manager at the Jungle Body in Western Australia. Ashley's romantic relationships had been with men all of her life and was even married to a man. But things changed for her when she met a woman who she fell madly in love with. She decided to follow her heart and pursue a relationship with her current partner, Rosie, who she's been with now for over two years. The two now live an amazing life together, raising five-year-old Mackenzie, a life that would not have been possible had Ashley not found her way home to her authentic self. I hope that Ashley's story will serve as an inspiration to you to pursue relationships that are true to who you are and allow you to be with who you truly love. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. Today, I'm in conversation with Ashley McDonald. Welcome, Ashley, to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi. Yeah, I'm re- I was really looking forward, actually, to having this conversation with you today because I think what we're talking about is quite an important topic and one that many uh, have and are experiencing. So welcome. So I thought we could maybe start with a little bit around you telling us more about your childhood and what life was like for you growing up. Yeah, sure. So I grew up with mum and dad and one little brother. Uh, He's five years younger than me. And I had an amazing childhood. There's nothing I can fault. Um, I think when you look back as an adult and you kind of realise, you know, how much your parents did for you and the sacrifices they made, um, you know, I never knew that when I was really little that my parents struggled financially um, until I got older. So I think that says a lot about them and how they made things work for us um they made a lot of sacrifices to give us the best life that they could yeah I did sport I did I was a dancer I did calisthenics here in Australia it's a little bit different to um what calisthenics is when people google it I think they google it's like exercise but our calisthenics is a bit of it's a mix between like rhythmic gymnastics and dancing and all of that so I got really into that always a tomboy (laughs) never had any shoes on (laughs) <laughs> um, hardly ever had clothes on <laughs> and yeah I yeah I had an amazing childhood 
Fantastic. And in terms of then, I suppose, coming out after a heterosexual kind of relationship and, and I suppose growing up normally as you did and everything, I just wondered how, in terms of that certain point in your childhood, when did you start to question that, your sexuality, I suppose? Mm, I don't really remember the exact moment. I remember being kind of, oh, it was before I was a teenager and, and knowing, I didn't really know that bisexuality was a thing. I didn't know that that existed but I knew that there was definitely not just the, well, I like boys. I was like, but I like girls the same. Like there wasn't really that gender question for me, which is how it should be. But at the time it wasn't. And I, so I just kind of kept that, you know, hidden. Um, and then I remember, I remember the conversation with my friend and we would have been in year eight or nine. And she, I said something about girls and she was like, oh, that's bisexual. I was like, what is that? You know, like I, I knew that being gay existed. I knew at that time, gay was a pretty out there statement. I didn't know any gay people. I knew of gay people. Um, and mostly, which is interesting, they were mostly men, um, gay couples, and didn't know any lesbian couples other than, like, my mum played softball. And so, we like, there's all jokes in there. And she, <laughs> she had a lot of lesbian friends, but it's never something we really discussed, I guess. Um, so I remember being like, oh what's bisexual and went home and googled it and I was like oh that's what I am so I decided really early on that that's what I was um explored it in terms of you know teenagers will be teenagers but never was never in a relationship with a woman until I met Rosie my current partner yeah so how was that then because obviously you said you never kind of really showed that side of yourself even though you might have kind of said try maybe dabbled or tried a few times when you was a teenager <laughs> but that sense of you know growing up in Australia at the time because in that age, in that kind of era, like similar to me, there was there was a stigma about being bisexual, yeah. being gay, you know, all of that kind of thing. And yeah. I'm kind of curious around how how you navigated yourself through that time. Yeah, I I remember being called a lesbian, and I would have only been thirteen or fourteen. And I was I personally at the time was like, okay, whatever. But I remember my friends being horrified by that, and they were like you know, she just called you a lesbian, aren't you upset about it? And I, that was kind of my first, you know, knowing that it was kind of a taboo thing. I didn't really understand. I just, just was like, that's what it is. So, yeah, I was always one of the boys. I was always, you know, I had all my friends were boys other than my dance friends, but I hang out with them at school and I, that's just what I did. So when I realised that people had this kind of ingrained stigma or this thought process around um bisexuality or gay that's when I kind of went a little bit inward I was still very I always say I was a really terrible girl <laughs> I had no idea how to dress and you can look back at photos on my um Facebook and my Instagram and I was terrible I had no fashion sense I didn't know how to do my hair and I looked ridiculous but I thought I looked good I just didn't know how to do it um and so I guess looking back I did kind of stifle that a little bit not so much that it, I was kind of hiding who I was because at the time I was bisexual, so I was still able to express that side of me and I just ended up, yeah, meeting my now ex-husband um, and, and that was the end of that. So, I, yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily, you know, in the closet or shamed or um, hiding who I was at the time, but there was definitely that part of me that wasn't able to fully express who I was or explore who I was because... Yeah, it just wasn't done at the time. There's not, you know, there's nothing bad. We just, my favorite saying is, we do better when we know better. So. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose as a teenager and, and kind of trying to express that, I would imagine at times can be a little bit confusing anyway, because, you know, if you're not 100 percent sure, you're just still in that exploratory phase. I suppose then actually having a serious conversation about it might it's all about timing, yeah. isn't it? And like you said, it's all yeah. about knowing when it's right. And I think when you begin that conversation, people just attach to a label. I think people are scared to label themselves because society doesn't like you to go back or or for you to change. Um, We we don't like change. Humans don't like change. So I think that when you identify as something, even though you're okay with the change and you're okay with where you're going, everyone else is like, whoa, but, you know, you said you were this. So I think that's definitely – I didn't have that option to explore it because I did fear that if I was like, oh, actually – I'm gay, then everyone would be like, okay, you're gay. And that was it. And I, I wouldn't have the option to back then. I wouldn't have had the option to get married or to have kids. And that was really my, you know, my, my lifelong goal and my dream. So mm-hmm. I did kind of just shut it down. Yeah. Okay. I hear that. So as you then kind of moved, cause obviously then you kind of, obviously you went through your school life and adolescence and moved into your adulthood and you became then a, a dancer and a choreographer. And then that's obviously when you also met your husband and got married, your ex-husband and, and, yeah. and got married at the time. And so can you show me, cause I know that was kind of, there was a lot kind of happened in the years of that four year period of when you were, got married and had the had your baby and yeah. all of that kind of thing. Can you just share a little bit more around that experience and what was going on for you through that process? Yeah. So I met him when I was, I was 17. We started dating when I was 18. He was a fair bit older, but I was, I've been told quite often that I'm an old soul. I've always had an old soul and I was ready to kind of settle down and and not necessarily have kids at 18, but I was ready to be in a committed relationship. And, you know, I was done with partying and I didn't want to do that. So when I met him, it did kind of just fall into place. Um, And he knew I was bisexual, but obviously we fell in love and that was the end of that. And then we got, you know, four years later, we got married. And then two years later, we had our daughter, but there was definitely something missing. I, I love, love, I very much loved him and, and nothing takes away from that. But there was still that side of me that was, I felt I was hiding. I always felt like when we went out, I had to wear a dress and I had to wear heels and I, you know, I had to play the wife and the mum when Kenzie came along. So there was this all, yeah, this part of me that was definitely hidden. Like I was like, I just want to wear pants and, and, you know, I was always wanted to cut my hair short and shave my head. And everyone was like, no, you can't do that. And even to an extent he was, I remember we went to the company I work for, the Jungle Body, we run uh, like a ball every year. And one year I said, I was like, next year I'm wearing a tuxedo. And he was like, well, I'm not going with you. (laughs) And that's nothing on him. It was just that he was like, no, you're meant, you know, you're my wife. I'm not coming with you like that. And I remember at that point, I think that was our last one that we were together for. And that wasn't, you know, the be all and end all, but it kind of did spark a conversation to be like, well, hang on, why can't I? Why can't I still be this person, you know? Because I don't want to wear a dress. I look ridiculous. I don't look ridiculous. I looked fine, but I felt ridiculous. I always said I felt like a footballer wearing a dress. Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine that feeling a little bit uncomfortable as a footballer in a dress. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I suppose, as you said there, there's nothing wrong in terms of what your husband at the time wanted. But I suppose if you're then not feeling 100% comfortable in terms of self-expression, 
you know, and, and showing up as you want to show up, then I suppose that's could then cause tension and within yeah. yourself more than anything else and in that inner conflict, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I think it's like I went into the relationship one person and he obviously yeah, fell in love with me as that person. And while I was still that person, it was because I was suppressing that that side of me. So obviously when I start to want to bring that side of me out, it's gonna cause some some issues. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, people people change. They do. And actually in, in all relationships, whether you're straight or yeah. not, it doesn't you know, we all evolve and change and we all want yeah. to do and express ourselves in different ways as we progress in our relationships. So so tell me what happened after that then, because I think is that not when you kind of met then Rosie? We'd met about four years before we started dating through a mutual friend. She came to my launch of my fitness classes and we met briefly after and I, I vividly remember meeting her and I was like full fangirl like oh my god who is this girl and I started following her on Instagram and little did I know she also started following me on Instagram and it was like four years of just stalking (laughs) Um, (laughs) fangirl crushing you know yeah um we were both in relationships and that's Mm -hmm. just what it was and then yeah four years later we opened up conversation um around something completely different something very random and we just began talking and yeah, I think the conversation just led to talking about things that were quite deep and quite um, a bit triggering because we were talking about, you know, um, goals and aspirations and life dreams. And I really realized actually the path I'm on isn't really honoring who I am. And at the time I'd had my daughter and I kind of went into that motion you know, would I want this life for her? Would I want to her to be living in her mid-20s and hiding this huge part of who I was? And no, I wouldn't. I, I want her to be, you know, thoroughly exactly who she is at all times. So it, that kind of sparked that conversation and then realised that actually we're just going in different paths. We want very different things. And, yeah, then Rosie kind of did the same. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's interesting though, isn't it? When that, you know, when you can meet somebody like that, that just then kind of sparks something within you. And it feels from what you're saying, and tell me if this is wrong, but it feels from what you're saying is that when you kind of met her, you kind of thought there was just something, a different dynamic, a different connection. This might sound really cheesy, but kind of like that kind of waking up kind of moment, if that's right to say. And And it was like, she saw inside me, like she saw past who I was trying to be. And yeah, she she knew and same thing with her. I think I definitely like I never used to believe I thought people that would talk about like love at first sight and you know, when you know you know. I was like, Yeah, 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 I get it. When you know you know. But this was like nothing I'd ever felt before. I was like this yeah. I knew in the moments when our conversation went further and then when we finally like met up and decided, you know, let's just see. If, if it's real or if it's just friendship conversation. And in that moment, I was like, I, I think I said to her on the first day, I was like, I'm going to marry you one day. And I was like, I, I, know, I just know it. So, yeah, it definitely is that. Her giving me permission to be me, but I think when you know that that's the person, you bring that out in each other anyway. Absolutely. And I don't know, it feels like as you're talking there, this like I can just feel that shift in terms of freedom, these are my words, not yours, but that sense of just being absolutely free to be who you are 
and not kind of live your life any longer in those constraints yeah. and that conformity. And little little yeah. constraints, you know, they might not mean a lot to other people, but when you're living that, you're like, I had been conditioned to, I had really long, thick, blonde hair. And everyone's like, no, don't cut it. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. You can't cut it. It's amazing. So I was like, oh God, I've got to keep this hair. And I, I remember the moment that Rosie was like, babe, shave it off, cut it. Like, if, if that's what you want. And I, it was like this, the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. Cause I was like, why am I holding on to this, you know, for other people? So little things that were, yeah, definitely big. Those are huge moments though, aren't they? Because yeah. that, that again is another sense of self-expression and you being yeah. able to show up truly as you are. And, and I think people have those kind of perceptions or I, kind of ideals of how perhaps you should look or should be. Yeah. And I think when you kind of relinquish yourself or release yourself from those, then, yeah, yeah as you said, especially it, it as, can be life-changing. Yeah, especially as a mother. I think when you become a mother, there's this like idea of what a mum should look like or what a mum should do. And I was never in that what a mum should do bracket. Like my job, I'm a fitness instructor. I twerk, you know, I used to twerk on stage for, for a living. So I was like, I'm not a mum as typical. Yeah. So why am I attached to this idea that I have to look like a mum? You know, yeah. am I doing it for Mackenzie? And no, I'm not. I'm, I'm doing it for everyone else's benefit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I can hear that really big time. So in terms of then sharing this news with your family and close friends and things, how did that go? Good. I'm very lucky. I've had no, you know, pushback from anyone other than random people on the internet, actually, which is bizarre. But um, my family were like, I think they were more hurt that the relationship with my ex-husband had ended. You know, it was 10 years. That's a long time having someone in your family. And I think in their minds, they were like, we don't want that split family life for my daughter, you know. So their worry was around that. But I think when they saw how, you know, him and I are still good friends, we're we're mates, we decided very early on that Kenzie has to come first. So I think once they saw that, they they were fine. My friends were when I told them they were like yeah we thought you knew you were gay like we knew and I was like it's how funny isn't it sometimes yeah it's funny anyone want to tell me because yeah um so yeah and and our you know when we've posted eventually to social media and shared it we've we've had so much support and so much love that yeah it's been it's been amazing we're very blessed Yeah, fantastic. And it's interesting, as you just said there about your friends and everything, they're saying, yeah, we already kind of knew. Sometimes people know even before you, (laughs) maybe you're brave enough to say so, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Just wait to go, okay, fine. (laughs) Which is great. It's really good, yeah. So over over this time of your kind of, I suppose your transition, if that's what you want to call it, or your transformation, were there any big challenges that you kind of came across because it feels from what you're saying that actually it was kind of all right but I would imagine there must have been some challenges at times yeah that's definitely step parenting in any relationship is I take my hat off to step parents like parenting is hardcore but watching step parenting I'm not a step parent I can't you know I don't know what it's like but watching that relationship is it's hard um and Rosie's been amazing but obviously there's times where, you know, when Rosie met Kenzie, Kenzie was two and two-year-olds are awful. <laughs> They're beautiful. Challenging, like yes. They are. <laughs> like they call it the terrible twos for a reason. And so you throw a two-year-old and a new dynamic 
you know, of relationship and separation in that was just a whole whirlwind. And I think we've blocked out like a whole 12 months of our life. But yeah, I think we've survived because we just keep coming back to our, you know, why are we together? We've chosen each other. You know, Rosie's learning to choose Kenzie. She's like, I chose Kenzie and Kenzie chose me because we have, you know, we both chose you. So my second husband, Ross, um, he's a stepdad to my son, Dylan, and I can absolutely relate to that. I think it's hard enough being a parent as it is. And then when you add that dynamic in, it does, it's, it's amazing, actually. And I think for me, and it sounds very much what's happened to you is that Rosie loves you and loves obviously your daughter and actually no matter what they will make it work and and it's the same with Ross and I and and Dylan Dylan's now 19 and Ross met Dylan when he was six you know and so but but I do feel that obviously we grow over the years and evolve and we've we've become a very close-knit family but it's amazing actually to see that relationship but it is challenging at times so I totally understand that yeah yeah so out of all of that did you you know and, and all of what you've been through so far have you had any major lessons that you've learned that you think are worth sharing yeah I think it's actually a lesson for me as a parent because well and as a human being I guess when I was growing up I didn't know that there were these options you know I just thought that's you got married to a man and you had babies and if you didn't really you know if you were a lesbian it was a pretty big life choice because I didn't really I didn't know that there were options for lesbians to have children and back then they couldn't get married so you know that was a pretty big decision for people to make and I think it's taught me to change my language and to change what we introduce my daughter to um you know it's like that age-old thing where even talking about like puberty and sex and we're like oh I didn't know my parents taught me nothing it's the same thing with with relationships and with Um, gender and sexuality I think it's so important you know it's very easy we've said it we're like oh do you have a boyfriend you know at kindy I think all parents have said it and I'm like or a girlfriend you know or do you have a yeah it's it's changing language and being like you know one day you might get married and she'll say oh yeah I haven't got a boyfriend you're like well you can marry a girl if you want or yeah just giving them opening up that option it's not making them choose that you can't make someone gay no matter what some people think it is who they are at the core of it and I I think when you give permission for kids to be who they are it's it changes the world same as around gender like when you give kids permission to you know boys permission to wear dresses and to paint their nails it, it might not mean anything but it may mean something it may just give them permission to be like wow okay I I can do this and and I'm allowed to be that person. Um, So, yeah, I think that's the lesson I've learned is to just don't be so closed off in in your thinking for the next generation. Absolutely. I think that's a really important lesson, isn't it? I think that openness and transparency is critical to awareness in general and will kind of hopefully over over time eradicate that conditioning and that stereotyping as well. And visibility, I think, think is super important, you know, being seen. You know, we've we've seen a whole shift, I think, in the last 24 months of disability and, and gender and race and sexuality come out. And, you know, there's a new Christmas movie on Netflix that's a lesbian couple and there's a new one coming out with a gay couple and there's, you know, interracial couples is not a new thing, but it's about being seen for that child. 
I was reading an article, I can't remember who it was the other day, but she was a, an actress and she said as a child, she was a black actress and she said, I never saw any princesses that were my colour, so I didn't believe I could be a princess. And it's the same as, you know, I'm, I'm recently disabled and it's the same thing. It's like there's, there's nothing out there for little girls who might be in a wheelchair or who might have a disability to be like, oh, I can do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, the world is slowly waking up. But I think it's not just about the world waking up. It's those little moments in your own language, in your own home that can really make a big difference, just, can't they? Yeah, yeah, even if it's just a one one child, that's, that's a huge yeah. difference. And actually, I was going to talk to you about your disability, if that's okay, because I know this has yeah. been quite recent in your life as well. And you being a dancer and a choreographer and, you know, and had your whole world and life involved in that arena. Can you share what's happened to you? Yeah. So in end of January this year I thought I had I thought I had a pinched nerve in my back and hip and it kind of got better and then it got worse and then it got better but I'm a, like you said I'm a dancer so that kind of thing is pretty normal I'm, I'm used to pain I'm used to pushing through and it wouldn't be out of place then it got worse I remember Valentine's Day we stayed in a hotel and I could barely walk I remember going down to the pool and I was like I just want to float I just I need to get some pressure off my hip. Then two weeks after that, it got yeah a lot worse. I had this chronic nerve pain in my leg and then went to the doctor and he was like, okay, sit up on the bed and lift your leg up and he pushed it down and I had no resistance. And it was the first time that I was like, well, that's weird. I've not noticed that I, you know, I don't have any strength there. And he said, if the pain gets worse, go to hospital. Next day, it got a lot worse. So I went to hospital and within 24 hours, they had diagnosed me with a condition called transverse myelitis, which is inflammation on the spinal cord. So mine is at my T11, which is about in line with my belly button. So effectively anything from there down within that 24 hours became disabled. I couldn't couldn't walk. By the time I'd got to the hospital, they had to put me in a wheelchair because I couldn't move. Um, I lost bladder and bowel function. I yeah had, had no feeling. I, I remember a nurse doing an internal and he was like can you feel that and I was like I literally cannot feel anything like it was it was really scary at that point I didn't really realize how big it was so I was kind of like okay you know I'll spend a couple of days here you fix me and I'll go home the next morning they uh doctor came in and he was like okay so we've got to do a lumbar puncture spinal tap and in that moment I was like okay that's not just like an x-ray or a you know, an MRI, that's pretty serious. They only do those for kind of, you know, last resort. And yeah, so then transverse myelitis, I had a lesion on my spinal cord, which they treated with steroids. And um, I had, you can see my scar here. I had a big tube that came out of, it looked like an antenna. And they basically washed my blood, the antibodies. So I was in there for three weeks and I had to learn to walk again. Yes, I'm, I'm very grateful that the position of my of the lesion on my spinal cord meant that it was it's ended up just being my left leg that I can't feel uh, from the hip down and yeah I've got everything else back it's just just can't feel your left side so that is a huge kind of thing to deal with as well isn't it so I suppose from a, an emotional well-being perspective and your kind of inner strength how are you coping with not having that yeah. full function as you once had yeah it was a I think in hospital I was not in denial but Rosie was really struggling with it. I think when you watch a partner or a child or someone in your family go through something, you know, it's like the male in the room when you're giving birth. It's 
hard to see someone you love going through that. And she had time, she was leaving me at the hospital. So she was going home and having all these thoughts about, you know, what is our future going to look like? At that point, I couldn't walk. Um, I couldn't move my legs. I was sitting on the bed. I couldn't feel anything. So because I saw her really struggling, I think I just kind of went into, I'm okay, you know, to protect her a bit. I didn't want to make it worse. But I did have my moments in there of, of processing it. And I think coming home is when it really hit me because I didn't prepare for coming home, not being able to walk. So I just assumed I was going to walk out of there and I couldn't, I had to learn to walk again at home. So for me, I had to really flip. I think before I'm still an anxious person, but about completely different things before I was quite naturally a pessimistic person. Like I was quite prone to being very anxious and being a bit depressed. So something changed and I just kept coming back to I'm grateful and I'm grateful that it is where it is on my spinal cord I'm grateful that my bladder and bowel function came back I'm grateful it's you know I I can still use the muscles of my left left leg even if I can't feel them grateful I live in a time of you know these medical advancements and I'm grateful there was an on-call MRI technician to, to do it you know so that's what got me through that time that's what's continued to get me through. Even when we have moments where it hits Rosie hard, I'm like, babe, let's just be grateful for what we do have and let's come back to you. I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to help others, you know, on my platform see that it's not the end of, end of the world. It's not a death sentence. I'm alive, I'm thriving, and I'm, I'm very stubborn. So I'm here to challenge people's perception of disability to show you I can still dance and I can still do my job. I'm not disabled as you know it you know and it's interesting as you as you're talking there around that sense of now that drive to to show others that actually it's not over because you have a disability and and that strength and and courage coming through and determination as you've described I'm wondering what now then do you think is your purpose yeah I think I'm still figuring that out I've opened Uh myself up I used to love public speaking at high school I was captain of our debate team and, and I loved it And so I've kind of opened that side up again to explore those options and sharing through my social media just to show that it's not, yeah, you don't have to give up. And I I do get messages quite often now of people like, oh, I was having a bad day, but, you know, I saw that you were up walking and I was like, oh, she can do it, I can do it. So it's the same as before representation. I'm just showing people that it's not, A, it's not a death sentence you can still live a fully functioning life and, and you can have things to be grateful for even when it feels like the, the world is against you. Absolutely. And it feels that gratitude that you've described has been a bit like your your beacon, you know, your shining light mm-hmm. that's kind of helping you manage and navigate yourself through this process. So from a health perspective for you moving forward then, do you know what that looks like for you? No. <laughs> No, we're still we're still trying to find answers. Since coming out of hospital, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which was the cause of the um, transverse myelitis. But we're still on a path of because it was only one attack, they don't want to medicate, which is fine by me. I'm I'm not, you know, I don't want to have to rely on that if I don't have to. But it's still a bit of an unknown, and it, it's like that. I don't want to think about it happening again. <laughs> But it's highly likely that it could happen again. So it's finding that kind of middle ground where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm preparing, I'm prepared for the worst, but I'm not going to live my life like I'm preparing for the worst. I'm going to live my life as, as is. And if it happens, yeah. we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. 
And obviously, in terms of your relationship with Rosie, is this where you've also, this is a leading question, but I'm curious, is this where you've seen, you know, that sense of strength and real deep connection to overcome obstacles and challenges? Definitely. I would have been lost without her and my family. My family are, you know, have been an amazing support and I'm very lucky because I don't know what I would have done without my whole support crew, but just her ability to be able to sit with me and be like, you know, we had moments of why me? And we had moments of her saying, you know, let it hurt, let it, you know, feel it, feel that pain. And then moments of when I needed her to be like, come on, let's go, let's, you know, go prove that you can do it. So definitely our strength has helped me get to this point. Amazing. Amazing. So I've just got a few more questions, if that's all right, before we wrap up um, yeah. as we're going through this. So you've obviously learned quite a few lessons, but what do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've you've experienced or, or any any insight that you've had from both of your transitions, mm. I suppose, or transformations? I think being able to trust yourself and, and like myself and I've always known that I'm a strong person I come from a line of very strong women that I know that I'll be okay but to actually put that into action and and to know that I can trust the decisions I make and I can trust that I will be more than okay has has definitely been a big learning curve on on both sides and I think that this would have been a whole other story if I was hiding that part of me because you know it all just piles up so I think because I I was authentically myself it meant that I was able to express this as my authentic self as well Mm, yeah yeah I can hear that as you've been talking and so for for those that might be struggling with either aspects of disability or, or new kind of coming into disability from from not being having that but also for those that maybe are wanting to be more of themselves and to show up as themselves Do you have any advice for those people who might be struggling with aspects of that? I think you need to find your people. I think that find people who are in your corner who, you know, I've spoken to people who are still struggling with their sexuality and unable to, not unable, but they're worried of fear of judgment or fear of choosing. And like we said, with those labels attaching to that. And I think once you find your people who are okay with you, to express that or to not express that and to just to be in your corner and have your best interests at heart, I think so much changes. You know, when I had my friends who were like, yes, you, you do you, you, you go, you be happy. Um, we love you no matter what you do. I think that's when life changes. So, and, and the same with this, really. I had people who were like, you know what, if you want to give up your jungle body or you want to give up choreographing, it sucks, but we'll, we'll help you find what you want. But they were also like, you can do it and we're going to help you do it. So when you find your people that just have your best interests or they are your ultimate cheerleaders, then you begin to trust yourself more to be yourself. So, yeah, find your people. Yeah, I heard you mention before that you called them your crew and I love that, <laughs> having your own crew around you to kind of keep yeah. you going. And I do think you're, those, you do need a, a group of people around you that are supportive. As you said, those people that sometimes can cheerlead for you, even sometimes when you can't do it for yourself, which I think is yeah. really important. Even people who can be so, completely so, honest with you and just say to you, yeah. all right, it, that's enough. Like, let's go. Let's snap out of that. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. It's important. It is. And especially, I suppose, if you're kind of dealing with that ups and downs, as you've described, you do need somebody who can, like you say, kind of give you a kick up the backside every now and again and say, right, okay, 
let's get back yeah. to it let's kind of crack yeah. on yeah it's important isn't it yeah definitely so Ashley where can people find out more about what you're doing and where, where can they kind of learn more about you yeah um so Instagram I have my Instagram it's um Ashley Ann McDonald and we have our joint Instagram is two mum tribe it's spelled out t-w-o two mum tribe um and my jungle body role is on the jungle body amazing thank you well yes. I've had a really nice time talking to you today and thank you so much for sharing all what you've had um I wish you all the best in your future endeavors especially around your health um thank but you. thank you for being you showing up as you and I'm sure like I have the listeners will love what you've shared today and thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me thanks for tuning in I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca Spain My team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more, we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life-enriching environment where you'll reconnect, rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life. If you're interested in learning more, head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the Retreats tab. In the meantime, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life, and see you soon. Mm -hmm.